Welcome to the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Gerald Borgay. Welcome, Valley boys and girls, to another episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gerald Borgay. And uh, we don't have a G-rated segment for you today. We pretty much did a whole G-rated segment uh, in our last episode on Raya and the Last Dragon, if you missed that. But we've got a lot of good Suns stuff to catch up on. Um, So I'm just going to do a quicker solo show for you today. Um, But funnily enough, we do have a lot of Suns stuff to talk about, despite the fact that they've only played, you know, one game since the All-Star break and Devin Booker didn't even participate in the All-Star game. Um, Chris Paul did. He passed Magic Johnson for the most assists all time in the All-Star game. So that was kind of cool, even though he uh, was not able to win the skills challenge. Um, And obviously it was a bummer that Booker couldn't be at the All-Star game. But uh, that decision paid dividends in the Suns' first game back against the Portland Trailblazers. Um, Obviously, the Blazers are still a little shorthanded without Yusuf Nurkic and CJ McCollum. But uh, this was another good win for the Suns. I'm recording this Thursday night after their game. Um, you know, this was the Suns' fifth straight win. They earned the tiebreaker over Portland, even though this is not the Portland team that we will likely see in the playoffs. Um, that's big to have any tiebreaker over these Western Conference playoff teams. Um, and the win improved the Suns to 25-11, and 11, so they're only two games back from the Utah Jazz for that one seed. And they're actually 1.5 games ahead of the Lakers now who are in third. Um, So every win at this point is crucial, especially against teams from the West, helps solidify their playoff standing, um, help them retain that home court advantage and get hopefully get a more favorable matchup the higher up they climb. But um, kind of interesting, the Suns are 17 and three uh, over their last 20 games. And that's the first time they've gone 17 and three over any 20 game stretch dating back to the 2009-2010 season. And as you might remember, that was not only the last time the Suns made the playoffs, but they actually went to the Western Conference Finals that season. So kind of a good thing. It's also only the second time they've done this since uh, 2006 and seven. So again, another really great season for the Suns. That was uh, one that ended in the conference semifinals in tragically heartbreaking fashion, but uh, that was a title contender team as well. So Suns are putting themselves in pretty rarefied air and, and they're looking very good. Uh, Thursday's win against the Blazers was a really good one just as far as their ability to hang around. Um, you know, the Blazers came out shooting really well and the Suns were not rebounding the ball on the defensive end particularly well, giving up a lot of offensive boards. Um, and, and to be fair, and Enos Cantor is really good at that. But, um, you know, they, they just hung around and then near the end of the third quarter and beginning of the fourth quarter. That's when they turned it on as we've seen them do before. And uh, they were able to eke out the win in the end. So, and avoid game time in clutch situations. They didn't even have a clutch situation tonight. So they avoided all of the trouble that comes with Dame when he is in, uh, in those crunch time situations. So good win all around, even against the shorthanded Blazers team. Um, But let's segue into our quote of the week because the star of the game was obviously Devin Booker. Um, He dropped 35 points, eight assists, and five rebounds in the win. He shot 12 for 21 from the floor. And uh, funnily enough, 
we didn't really know heading into the game whether he would even play because of that left knee sprain that he sustained in the Suns' last game before the All-Star break that kept him out of the All-Star game against the Warriors. Um, he was listed as questionable, and they were saying that he was going to go through shoot-around and see how he felt. Apparently, he checked off enough boxes to play, and uh, damn it, if he didn't look good playing in that game. It, it's just It's been great to watch Devin Booker actually play in games that matter and not only play in games that matter, but thrive in games that matter after the all-star break, which he's been saying for years is his goal. So it's really cool to see him do that. It's great that the left knee sprain didn't bother him. Um, he did bang or, or twist his left knee um, late in the game against Portland, but he seemed all right. He stayed in the game. He said he was all right after the fact um, and that this incident was a lot lighter than the first incident that he had against the Warriors. Um, but this performance was really special, not just because, you know, he kind of chose to forego the All-Star game so he could get his body right for, you know, this regular season game. Monty said he kind of sacrificed that All-Star appearance um, just to, you know, he still, it still counts as an All-Star selection for Book, obviously, but he sacrificed playing in that actual game so that he could get his body right for this week and for the home stretch where this, the schedule really heats up and there are a lot of games in a short amount of time. So it was, it was cool to see him perform that well. And um, our quote of the week this week actually comes from Chris Paul on that very subject, because according to Chris Paul, he didn't even know if Devin Booker was going to play before the game. I ain't going to lie to you. I ain't think Booker's playing tonight. <laughs> I, like I talked to Book all during the break and all this stuff like that. He's different. Like for real, for real, he's he different. Not only the fact that he played tonight, but that uh, smooth 35 that he had. Me and Jay Crowder was just in there talking about it. He, uh, he, he, he different. He's different. So these are the kind of little juicy tidbits that we get from these post-game media sessions um, where, you know, he says he was talking with Jay Crowder and they were just talking about how smooth a performance it was for a guy who they didn't even know if he was going to play heading into the game based on, you know, what they were getting or what they were hearing from Book over the All-Star break. So pretty impressive that he just came out, dropped a 35-8-5 stat line, um, you know, 35 points on only 21 shots. He was the best player on the floor in a game that included the likes of Damian Lillard and Chris Paul. Um, and he just really turned it on when the Suns needed him. You know, he wasn't shooting the ball well, but he closed the game with 20 points on a, a seven of nine shooting stretch there to help the Suns kind of extend their lead, avoid a crunch time situation against arguably the league's best crunch time performer. And um, that was just a really good performance. And it goes to show that Book is very committed to winning. You know, the, the main criticism of him for years has been that he's not a winner, but, um, you know, he's, he's proving that now that he actually has help, he absolutely is a winner, that this was there all along and uh, that we're seeing him at his best now, which is pretty cool to see, especially for a Suns fan base that's been tortured for the last 10 years, pretty much. Um, <clears throat> but going, going back to Book for a minute, because, you know, CP3 and Jay Crowder are right, that he, it was a smooth performance, and he is different. You know, this season, uh, he's up to 25.2 points per game after the Blazers game. Uh, he's shooting 49.8% from the field, just a hair under 50% shooting just a hair under 37% from three and uh, just under 85% from the free throw line, which is actually kind of down from last season when he shot like 90 some percent, but still um, really efficient season. And then it was funny. We asked, or uh, Brendan clean asked him after the game, 
you know, what he attributes that efficiency to. Um, and all he had was a two word response for us, Chris, Paul, and that's it. <laughs> Just it's Chris Paul. And it's awesome that they are having that chemistry in the backcourt now. Um, it was a little shaky early on. And, and I think the stagger still works really well for the Suns when they deploy that, um, when they stagger those two guards to make sure one of them is always on the floor. But it's good that they're finding that chemistry and that Booker is being used more off the ball than he has in the past, uh, with the exception of last season when he had rookie Rubio. Um, <clears throat> and it's translating to success, obviously. Um, you know, Thursday night, he reached his 100th 30-point game, um, which is, which is you know, still the most in franchise history. Walter Davis is second with 90 30-point games, and, and Booker has 100. He has 10 more than Walter Davis, and he's only 24 years old still, which is incredible. Um, you know, he's the eighth youngest player in NBA history to hit 130-point games in his career. Um, which is just incredible. And if you look at the seven guys ahead of him on that list, it's pretty impressive company. Um, and it was cool that he credited his success with his efficiency this season to Chris Paul. Obviously, a lot of those 30-point games came before CP3's arrival. Um, but as far as the efficiency goes and how dangerous he's been as a scorer, um, especially since he came back from that hamstring injury at the start of February, um, he's just been on a tear. And it's been awesome to see. And, and that's why it's not that big of a deal that we didn't get to see him in the all-star game because he's got his mind set on bigger goals, um, you know, playoffs and actually making noise. Once they get to the playoffs, we, we got a preview of what we might see um, in the coming months during the NBA bubble for games that actually kind of had postseason implications for the Suns for the first time. Uh, it's going to be really cool to see him in a playoff atmosphere, bearing that in mind, what we saw in the bubble. Um, and now that he's up to 25.2 points per game, as our friend Matt Peterson points out on Sun's Twitter, um, if he holds that average, that would put him with four of the Sun's 12 highest scoring seasons in franchise history. Uh, again, only 24 years old. He hasn't even reached his prime or his peak yet. He hasn't even been to the playoffs yet. So we're going to see some special things from Booker moving forward. And it's pretty exciting, again, for this fan base because – Booker's been the only thing that most Suns fans have had to enjoy over the last 10 years. There was that one season with Goran Dragic and that 2013-14 season, that 48-win season. That was special. We shouldn't forget about that. But aside from that, it's been pretty consistently miserable watching the Suns for the last decade. So it is very cool that not only are they the second best team in the NBA by record right now, but Devin Booker is playing an active role in that success and we're seeing him at arguably his best right now. Um, but let's transition to our next topic, which is one that hopefully won't ruffle the feathers of too many DeAndre Ayton fans, but we need to talk about how good Dario Saric has been. Um, and we've brought it up briefly on, on a couple of past episodes, but we need to dedicate a whole segment to Dario Saric because he is legitimately putting together a six man of the year campaign. Um, and it's going to be hard to top Jordan Clarkson just because, you know, he's playing for the best team in the NBA as of right now. He's putting up absurd scoring numbers, shooting numbers. He's, you know, when you think six man of the year, most voters just look at who's come off the bench more games than not and who's put up the best scoring numbers. You, you always look at a high scoring guard. That's why Lou Williams is, you know, a three-time winner of the award. Jamal Crawford was another 
really great scoring guard guys that just come in microwave scores and whether they're efficient or not, doesn't even really matter. Some of the time, just as long as they're putting up, you know, 16 to 19 points per game off the bench, you're going to be a six man of the year candidate. Dario Saric doesn't really have the scoring numbers to compete on that front. So, you know, he'd have to put together a really strong stretch and Jordan Clarkson would have to kind of fall off the map a little bit over the second half of the season. But in terms of impact, I'm not sure there's a more impactful bench player in the NBA right now than Dario Saric. Um, And it's not just a case of a guy that's like, you know, a plus minus God because he plays with a, a lot of other great stars. Obviously the Suns have great depth. They have a really good bench and that's part of it. But Dario Saric comes in and he, facilitates that change you know he is one of the biggest reasons if not the biggest reason for the Suns bench being so dominant this season um you know he's only averaging 11.4 points and 4.1 rebounds in his 18.4 minutes per game um, but he's been very efficient shooting just under 49 percent from the field 36 and a half percent from three um and most importantly the the plus minus and the net rating numbers do not lie so he's a plus 9.6 which is by far the highest on the suns and he has a net rating of 23.9 points per 100 possessions so whenever he's on the floor the suns are outscoring their opponents by nearly 24 points per 100 possessions which is absurd and obviously we can talk about small sample size theater here a little bit because um, we're only at like the halfway point of the season. We're 36 games in and Sharch has only played half of those. He's played 18 games. So it is a small sample size, but 18 games is still a lot to have numbers that impressive in the plus minus and net rating columns. Um, and he is the league leader in both plus minus and net rating, uh, among all qualified players individually, his plus minus and net rating is, is tops in the league among all qualified players. Um, and, and it's been more noticeable since he's come back just because it's no coincidence that the Suns' struggles um, during that period earlier in the season when they kind of fell to eight and eight and people were starting to worry that maybe they were just an okay team and not this great team that we thought they were. It, it's no coincidence that Sharich missed a lot of that time. Um, and since he's come back, it's also no coincidence that they are, you know, 17 and three over the last 20 games. Um, and that they've been one of the best teams in the NBA dating back to the bubble um, when he kind of took on and embraced this small ball five role off the bench. Um, And that is his best role. I know that people like to debate whether he's a four or five, but I don't know how you can watch the Suns over the last few weeks, months, dating back to the bubble and see the work that he's done as a small ball five and not think that's his best position. Like it just is hands down. Um, and yeah, there'll be nights where he's a little undersized or, you know, guys are just taller and and longer than him. And that's a problem at times, but he more than makes up for it on both ends, just with his basketball IQ, his passing ability, um, the way he can spread the floor, the way he can put the ball on the floor and make plays off the dribble. Um, you know, Devin Booker was talking about how he has just this wide body, and how he loves watching Dario Saric punish these mis- these mismatches when, you know, other teams that switch on defense, you know, they put a smaller guy in Saric and, and he just makes them pay for it in the post. They either have to send help and Saric is capable of making the pass or he's going to post up and score on them or he's going to be involved in a pick and roll and switch to the three-point line and, 
you know, he's either going to knock down that shot or make a defender pay for retreating too quickly, um, blow by him off the dribble. He's just a very versatile, very smart player. And defensively, you know, obviously he's not as athletic as a guy like DeAndre Ayton, but he's just, he has this really great basketball IQ where he knows where to be on defense. He knows the coverages um, and, and he's good in that way, even if he's a little bit slower of foot he's he's just so smart and he knows where to be and he's in the right positions so Dario Saric is is basically the whole package for the Suns right now off the bench um he he has a legitimate six man of the year case again I don't think he'll win it if these current numbers kind of hold up but uh you know people need to be aware of this this man is having a tremendous season he is one of the best contracts in the NBA the the amount that the Suns were able to re-sign him to seems like a massive steal at this point because he's just been playing such good basketball lately. Um, and it's fun to watch him come in there and just immediately start wreaking havoc and, and making just these smart, fundally, fundamentally sound plays all the time. Um, which kind of brings us to an issue that I'm sure people are taking notice of, especially with uh, you know our DeAndre Ayton stands out there. We love you guys. But we do need to address the obvious elephant in the room that over the last couple of weeks, DeAndre Ayton's number or minutes are a little bit down. And uh, in particular, in a couple of close games, he sat out down the stretch in favor of Sharich in those fourth quarter lineups, um, including, you know, Thursday night against the Blazers. He sat out most of the fourth quarter. Um, he did that, I believe against the Lakers as well. It was either Lakers or the Warriors as well. Um, but, you know, over his last four games, he's played 26, 25, 22, and 23 minutes. So, you know, this guy was averaging just under 31 minutes per game for the season. Um, and it was actually higher than that headed before these last couple of weeks kind of dragged the numbers down. So his numbers are significantly down. And part of that is just how good Sharich has been. And part of it is that teams, especially smart teams like the Lakers, the Warriors, the Blazers um, that have playoff caliber rosters and intelligent players they're they're figuring out that they can attack Aiton a little bit by constantly involving him in actions and that's not to say that DeAndre Aiton is a bad defender his improvement on then on that end has been monumental for the Suns progress defensively um, and I'm not suggesting that he's not going to be playable in a playoff setting or anything like that so don't misunderstand me um, for all my DeAndre Aiton stands listening out there but it is worth keeping in mind that teams like the Blazers, like they did in the third quarter tonight. Um, I think Mike V Hill pointed this out on Twitter. Um, they were attacking him constantly. They were involving him in constant, uh, you know, sets and they were benefiting from it. You know, the, the Blazers jumped out to like a 10 point lead in the third quarter after the Suns had tied it up at halftime um, and the Suns were able to close the quarter on a good run. But again, that came with Sharch in the game uh, to kind of taking over for Aiton and the rest of the way, Aiton's impact was kind of minimal. Um, and that's with Aiton doing a very good job early in the game of, you know, getting out on Damian Lillard on all of those pick and rolls. Um, he did a good job containing Lillard early on. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that the Suns, they tout him being able to switch on the perimeter. And it's not always true, especially when he gets fatigued, but he, for the most part, does a really good job with that kind of stuff. And he was doing that early on tonight. The problem was they were dragging him away from the basket with a lot of those switches and a lot of those actions. And that's part of the reason why the Suns were getting devoured 
on the offensive glass, uh, you know, Cantor having his way on the offensive boards early on um, and the Blazers getting a lot of second chance points. So that is something to keep an eye on moving forward. Again, I'm not saying that Aiton is not going to be able to stay on the floor in a playoff series. Um, we hope that that's the case, especially because of the progress he's made defensively. And um, he could have favorable matchups against, you know, some lackluster bigs, depending on who the Suns get in the first round. Like, you know, the San Antonio Spurs come to mind immediately unless they make a play for like an Andre Drummond or something like that. Um, you know, Jakob Podol is not stopping DeAndre Ayton down there, no offense. But um, it is something to keep an eye on because we might see this again in the playoffs when teams are putting Ayton through constant actions. He could become a detriment on that end of the floor, especially against smarter, more talented teams that can attack him and know how to attack him. Um, and, and, you know, make him make constant decisions because Aiton has gotten a lot better with his decision-making all that on that end of the floor. Um, but he's not perfect by any means. And, and teams that make him that force him to make multiple decisions on a, on one possession, they're going to find weaknesses and exploit them in that way. And that's what we saw from Portland in that third quarter when they went up tonight. And then we saw the way that Monty countered it by bringing Sharch in and leaving him in, which he's done a couple of times over the last few weeks. So that is something to keep an eye on. Again, part of it is just Sharch has been so good off the bench that you, you got to give a guy like that plenty of minutes, but um, you know, Sharch played 24 minutes tonight against the Blazers. I think Aiton played 23. Um, so just something to keep an eye on um, as we head into these games where, you know, those little matchups matter, those little tactical advantages and disadvantages shine through even more than they normally would over the course of the regular season. Um, it will be something that could come up in a playoff setting. Hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully Aiton is able to stay on the floor and, and make good decisions, but smart teams are going to try to attack that. And at the very least, it's good news that the Suns have a potential counter for it. Just don't be surprised if we do see it and we see Aiton on the bench in fourth quarter playoff minutes and people try to make a big deal out of it. We're already seeing it right now. So just something to keep an eye on moving forward. But for our last uh, topic of the evening, we got to address a couple of uh, names that have come up in regards to the Suns over the last week or so. Um, you know, a lot of players are looking for trades and, and currently away from their teams as they await either a trade or a buyout scenario. Um, and two of them are guys, actually three of them are guys that have all come up in regards to the sun. So we'll start with the first one. Um, the big one lately, LaMarcus Aldridge, obviously people have been speculating about where he might be traded. He's currently away from the San Antonio Spurs in a, a quote unquote, mutually beneficial decision. Um, they're trying to look for a win-win scenario. I don't know if one exists because if you're trying to make LaMarcus Aldridge happy, if you look at the Spurs, they're like they're in the middle of the pack in the West. There's not even 10 teams with a better record than them in the NBA right now. So if you want to make LaMarcus Aldridge happy, obviously he wants to play for a contender. The problem is there aren't a lot of teams that are going to be able to take on his, what is it, like $24 million salary that fit that description because Aldridge, he's not like Blake Griffin levels of worrisome right now as far as maybe being washed up, but He's not far off. Like he hasn't been that great for the Spurs. I think he's only averaging like 14 or 15 points a game and like four or five rebounds, something like that. And the Spurs actually played really well without him. He missed a couple of games due to injury. 
um, heading into the all-star break and the Spurs played really well without him. So it's good for the Spurs to get him off the roster and Aldridge, obviously, you know, he's 35 years old. He wants to play for a contender, but the problem is like those contenders are not going to carve out $24 million of space with a trade and give up a piece of their rotation for a 35 year old who might be washed up. Like his best role at this stage in his career is a bench role. And I'm guessing that that's what the Spurs probably saw for him and he doesn't want that. So hence we have this trade or buyout scenario. Um, So if they're trying to make a trade that makes Aldridge happy, I don't see it outside of the Boston Celtics because they have that massive $28.5 million trade exception um, that they can squeeze him into by trading like Tristan Thompson or Daniel Tyson, a couple of other salary filler players near the edge of their rotation. But you know, I don't know if that maybe Daniel, I, th- I feel like Daniel Tyson and Tristan Thompson would actually be good fits for the Spurs because they kind of just need help on the boards and, 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 you know, interior presences that won't take away shots and opportunities from the younger guys, um, which is what Aldridge is kind of doing right now. But I don't know if the Celtics would do it. We all know Danny Ainge loves to uh, talk about the players he almost got instead of the ones that he actually got. So we'll see what happens. Um, but other than that, the teams that might actually make sense as a trade target or a trade destination for Aldridge are all teams that are like worse than the Spurs. Um, and I think technically even the Celtics are worse than the Spurs right now. Um, but, you know, you, you could see like a magic trade or a bulls trade, maybe um, maybe a Cavaliers trade. If they just said, fuck it and swapped Aldridge and Drummond straight up. I don't know how that helps either one, but <laughs> it'd be kind of funny. Um, actually it would probably help the Spurs a little bit, but um, yeah, so for the Suns, obviously a trade is out. They're not breaking up any part of their core rotation to add him. And, and to be honest, even in a buyout scenario, which is the only scenario that would make sense for the Suns to add Aldridge, I don't know how much sense it actually makes. Um, you don't want him playing the backup five spot, even if he agrees to a backup role. Um, you don't want him playing that backup five spot because as we've just discussed, Dario Saric has been incredible in that role. So you don't want to disrupt that. Um, you could potentially see him as an upgrade for that third big, like that Frank Kaminsky role where he could play a little four, a little five, depending on who's available. And uh, as we saw earlier in the season, it never hurts to have a player that can fill those minutes, especially one with playoff experience and, and experience of being a star in the past, like Aldridge. Um, because they're one Dario Saric injury away from losing a huge difference maker on the bench. But at the same time, like you, you can't expect him to sign on with a team, especially if he gets bought out and can sign with any team he wants. It's very unlikely he would choose Phoenix and embrace that third big role and just be like, yeah, I'm here for a playoff run. I'm here to watch this younger team go through a playoff run. I'm fine with being the third big. If my number's called great, if not, you know, I'm on a contender. I don't think the Suns have that credit around the league yet as being seen as like a legitimate title contender. Like even the jazz don't have that credit yet for a lot of people. So even though the Suns and the jazz have been really dominant, I don't know if he would choose them over a team like the Lakers or the Clippers or the Nets, if he gets bought out. Um, obviously he has that relationship with Monty Williams from their time together in Portland and San Antonio, but, um, I don't know if Monty's relationship with him is that strong that he could talk him into being, you know, the third big, the guy that might play, might not play. 
Um, and I think Sharich and Aldridge could potentially work together, but you know, Aldridge is a mid range guy. Um, he's been shooting the ball well from three though this season. I do have to add that. Um, or at least decently from three, but I don't know if you want to disrupt the rotation unless it's as a third string big, um, you don't want Dario Sharich out of that small ball five role. And unless you think Aldridge can hang with fours, then, you know, defensively, he's going to be a minus either way. So I, I'm, I think Aldridge would be a nice pickup if he could agree to that third string role. But again, that feels very unlikely. Um, let's move on to another guy we mentioned briefly, Andre Drummond, who has been sitting out since I think for about a month with the Cleveland Cavs. Um, as they await a trade or a buyout scenario. Um, Obviously, we're getting closer to that March 25th trade deadline, so maybe things will heat up on that front. But so far, there's been no traction on on, uh, an Andre Drummond trade, and obviously that's because he's got a massive, what was it, like $26 or $28 million salary. Um, No team is really going to make space for that. Uh, maybe the Spurs swap him and Aldridge and they get, you know, a, a strong rebounder and an interior force that they kind of need. I, I feel like if they are going to trade a big for a big, they should, you know, phone the Orlando magic and, and either shoot for Aaron Gordon or Nikola Vucevic. And there are a couple of trade scenarios that would make that work, but um, the Suns are not trading for Andre Drummond. They're just not like, I got to tell you that right now. Um so hell no to a trade also hell no to I've, I've seen this on Twitter a little bit, but this idea that if Drummond was bought out, he could sign with the Suns and they would start him over Aiton. I don't know who is just looking at his box scores and seeing that he's averaging like 17 points and 13 rebounds and thinking like, Oh, he's a double, double machine. Like he'd be great if he like, no, you actually have to watch him play because defensively Aiton is miles ahead of him. Um, he's a mobile big he's he's a lot he's made so much progress on that end of the floor and he's also a guy that doesn't need a lot of touches to function like he's not going to sit and pout if he's not getting his post-up touches or if he's not getting shots or if his minutes are down recently like he knows his role and he's trying to be better at it obviously Aiton is not perfect he makes mistakes he's not as aggressive as a lot of fans would like to see and there are games where he'll just kind of disappear and mentally check out but he knows his role. He embraces it. He's not going to disrupt the chemistry. He's not going to be pouting if he doesn't get his shots. And I'm not saying that Drummond is, you know, some powder, but he is currently sitting out. His team is having him sit out because he's not a good fit long-term for their young core. And he probably wants to play for a better team that will offer him more touches and more opportunities. The Suns should not be that team. You don't want to be feeding Drummond the ball. And yes, he could probably set some good screens, but he's not this alley-oop threat and I know Suns fans like to criticize Aiton for how, you know, rare it is when he dunks the ball, but Andre Drummond is not this above the rim mobile big that Aiton is. Um, so if he did sign with the Suns again, just like Aldridge, it'd be this case where he would be signing on as the third big because you don't, he's not more impactful in that backup five role even than Dario Saric is right now. He's just not. Um, he could help on the boards, but he's not better than DeAndre Ayton, and he's not even better than Dario Saric in his current backup five role. So again, it, it makes more sense for Aldridge to be in a third string big role, especially on a team this good, but it doesn't make a lot of sense for Drummond to do that. Um, he, again, could sign with the Nets. He could sign with the Lakers, and those would make more sense, especially with Anthony Davis banged up for the Lakers. So 
got to put those Drummond ideas to bed. It's not a good fit. It doesn't make sense. No, they're not going to trade DeAndre Ayton for Andre Drummond. That would be a terrible trade. Um, it's not going to happen anyway. So just forget about Andre Drummond. If Andre Drummond is on your list, start a new list. Um, and then for the last one, uh, there's PJ Tucker, who it was announced Thursday night, actually after the Suns game or near the end of the Suns game, that he is kind of doing the same thing as Drummond and Aldridge now. He's upset with the team. He's currently away from the team, and they're going to work on facilitating a trade to get him out of Houston. Um, the unfortunate thing is apparently Steven Silas, who's the Rockets coach, was expecting Tucker to play Thursday night, and he didn't play. He just didn't show or whatever. Um, so that's kind of unfortunate. I, I feel so bad for Steven Silas. Like, my God, what a shitty first season to be thrown into with James Harden gone and Russell Westbrook gone and Daryl Morey gone. And now PJ Tucker wants out and pretty much everyone wants out except for Christian Wood. Cause they're not going to let him go. But um, yeah. So PJ Tucker, he's only making, I think it's 7.9 million. So it's a much easier contract to trade for. Um, I think Langston Galloway and Javon Carter would get the job done money wise. I don't know if that that'd be enough for the Rockets, um, I think a younger player like Javon Carter and, you know, a, a defensive bulldog like him would be a good get, honestly, in that kind of exchange. Maybe they ask for a second round pick also. They're not going to get a first rounder from from Tucker at this stage. I don't think he's like 34 years old or something. So no first rounders for Tucker. But, you know, maybe a package like that works. I, I think you want that extra depth that Galloway and, and Javon Carter provide because we know that they can come in and play minutes like Galloway has been a fire starter off the bench all season long when he's gotten time. And then Javon Carter, we all know what he can do defensively um, and, and just change the momentum of a game with his defense and hustle plays. But realistically come playoff time, you want a strong core rotation of like eight, maybe nine guys. If you can trade for Tucker and kind of withstand the loss of depth in that department, for the rest of the regular season, which to be fair, it's a very bunched up regular season. So maybe having that depth would be more of an advantage, but come playoff time, having t you'd rather have Tucker than guys who might not even see the floor like Galloway and Carter. So that is a potential trade. I feel like Tucker and Devin Booker were very good friends during their time here together. And Tucker would love to come back. Like he, he was a trooper for the Suns. Like he was a warrior. He was a bulldog here. Um, he was, you know, Dan Harley or Dan Marley Hustle Award winner. Um, and those were for some very bad Suns teams. So I think it would be pretty cool for him to come back to Phoenix, play with Book again, and actually be a part of a contender again. Because since he's gone to the Rockets, he's contended with them. And now he's kind of right back to where he was with the Suns a few years back. So um, it would be kind of cool to see that story come full circle, see him come home to Phoenix. And, and that's a guy that can play small ball, play multiple positions, defend multiple positions. Um, he's a guy that would really do with a change of pace because he's obviously not happy in Houston with all the losing that they're doing. Um, and he's a corner three point sniper. Like he's not a great three point shooter, but put him in the corner. He'll knock those down. Um, so he's a two way player, a guy that can play a lot of positions would give Monty extra versatility um, and when you're looking at that core eight or nine man rotation, maybe he makes it in there. Maybe he doesn't, maybe he is kind of washed up at this point, but it would be fun to find out. Um, again, not advocating for a trade necessarily, because I think 
with the nature of the injuries and, and COVID tests and everything that we might see over the second half of the season with all these games scrunched up on top of each other, you might prefer to have guys like Galloway and Carter who can come in in a pinch, who can give Chris Paul a night off or each one more a night off or whoever might be sitting out on a given night. You might want to have that kind of depth, but come playoff time, having Tucker would be a huge advantage. Um, but anyway, I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please write me a review. I want to hear from you. Let me know what shows or movies you're watching, and we might talk about them on the in the future. But for this episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast, this is Gerald Borgay signing off.